It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've got John Paul on his own taking your calls today, 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, give us a call, text or WhatsApp 86 And from a sporting point of view and from a Cork point of view, what a weekend it was for Cork teams with their seasons on the line. We had the Cork footballers, the hurlers, along with the ladies footballers, all pulling off stunning wins, moving all of them forward in the championships. The hurlers, uh, they bet Dublin as Searsha Noonan goal separated Cork from Kerry in the ladies football. And then yesterday on a very miserable afternoon, Mark Kane from Mitchellstown buried an astonishing, an astonishing injury time goal at uh, Porky Cueve, knocking out Kerry 112 to 13 points. And we will be talking about that on the programme in a couple of minutes with uh, Finbar McCarthy, our GAA uh, correspondent. Your thoughts welcomed you possibly. You may have saw Finbar a little video of Finbar went viral yesterday. It was just his reaction to the goal. And it's just one of those moments in time. I don't know who caught it on video, but it was just such... It was one of those fun pieces that would just make you smile and it just summed up, I think, how the entire county of Cork felt at that moment when it looked like we were going to be beaten by Kerry. I think, is it eight years since Cork has beaten Kerry in football? And it was just one of those wonderful, wonderful moments in time. And it gave us all a lift. We needed a lift and we certainly got it. And I don't want to rain on anyone's parade because we are very much celebrating that the three Cork wins at the weekend. But I've had an interesting email in from London. And it's to do with the match but it's to do with something that happened after the match that I think is worth carrying on the programme today and we're going to give it out and we welcome your thoughts and comments and it says hello I would love if this could be discussed on your programme this morning Patricia as like the rest of Cork City and County we are delighted with the result yesterday and I want to send congratulations to the boys from London however I do want to discuss a photo that was captured on our RTE.ie and uh, she's kindly sent me on a copy of the photograph. It's Roland McCarthy, the Cork manager, uh, celebrating with his players. And uh, 
The listener says Rona McCarthy is wearing no face mask and is in such close proximity to the two players he is hugging. Now, he may have a medical reason for not wearing one, but then there is the hugging of the players. I'm really upset by this behaviour. They have been given the privilege of being able to play while the rest of the country is in lockdown. And this is how the manager behaves when thousands were watching him and he should be setting an example as a figurehead in sport. We're all aware that Ronan McCarthy had only recently reassembled a food squad due to positive cases of COVID. I'm currently in London working as a nurse and I've been unable to visit my family, especially my nana in Cork, since COVID hit. She's 96 years of age, nearly 97, and I've stayed away as per the advice of both Irish and UK government in order to protect her. I'm scared for what Christmas might bring and not waking up on Christmas morning with her. I come back and stay with her numerous times throughout the year and it just breaks my heart when my cousins tell me that she's saying you won't be able to stay away for Christmas. What I would do to see my Nana and just to be able to give her a hug. I would even take just sitting, seeing her from outside her door at this stage. We're all working so hard to follow the rules to allow families to stay safe and to be reunited. And then I see this photograph being published. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, and it is a photograph of Ronan McCarthy hugging two of the players. There is another Cork, another, I imagine, uh, another one of the management team also coming over. I don't know whether he got into the hug or not, but the other uh, gentleman is clearly wearing a mask. But uh, Ronan McCarthy isn't. And obviously the two players are not wearing the mask. And I know it was probably the moment after the whistle blew and the excitement and all of that. But when you... You see somebody who is in London absolutely heartbroken that they haven't been able to come home since March and to an ageing grandmother who's, you know, 96 going on, 97. How many more Christmases is that particular nana going to have? And we have, you know, a young nurse who in all probability will wake up in Christmas morning and I don't know where what her living situation is in London I don't know if she's on her own over there she's in an apartment on her own or whether she's got a family over there but the possibility is that for her first ever Christmas she'll be waking up and not able to go and see her nana and not able to go and to give her a hug and I can understand the heartbreak and I can I can sense the sorrow with which this young nurse sent us that email while, you know, thrilled that the Cork lads won. And even though she's away from home, still following Cork GAA and very excited for them and delighted that they've progressed to the next round. But then to see that picture and she's not able to hug her nana. And here we've got a a GAA manager who in the heat of the moment is hugging two of the players. But is she right? Should he be leading by example? Should he have had his, at least had his mask on and should he have known that he shouldn't have been hugging? Because it's the one thing I did think of when I stayed up to watch Joe Biden and Kamala Harris do their victory speeches from Delaware on Saturday night. And you could sense the excitement on the stage when both the Harris family and the Biden family came out. But I thought, and it was really good of them, and they'd obviously all were very careful about it. Every one of them was wearing masks. There was no hugging, even when Kamala Harris introduced Joe Biden and Joe Biden came out on stage. They were very aware of keeping their distance 
and there was a moment of celebration as well when you would have said oh give them you're going to have one hug each it'll be fine but they didn't you know they, they realised that they needed to lead by example and they realised that the rest of America and the rest of the world was probably watching them now I'm not saying Ronan McCarthy would have been aware that anybody was watching him or taking the photograph at the time but I can I there's part of me can see it from both sides but I just I think that nurse in London it's just heartbreaking to think of what she's going through at the moment and she's not the only one going going through that and actually that whole thing about Christmas and what Christmas is going to be like was very much discussed at the weekend because the public health experts now are coming out and warning that it will be impossible to avoid continued restrictions over Christmas despite the fact that the COVID-19 infection rates are slowing down and we're all very thankful that the numbers are slowing down and every day when we hear the numbers we heave a sigh of relief when we realise they're going down. Yesterday 542 uh, new cases sadly two more deaths uh, were reported but the DCU um, Professor Anthony Staines, he said that although the, effect, the infection rate is falling, he says that reopening up in December will lead us back to another lockdown. He said if we continue with an aggressive programme to control the virus, we could eliminate circulation of the virus in January. And then he said if we did that, we'd be looking at like what they're doing in New Zealand and Australia. We would have our economy back up and running in February. But he said if we don't, what will happen is that the cases will go down in November as they're doing and we're in lockdown and everybody's doing what we've been asked to do. He said the first couple of weeks in December they'll all be okay but then he said they'll start to very slowly go back up again a little bit like what happened in the summer months. And he says Christmas socialisation is important and it matters but he said the more virus that's in circulation when we do that socialisation he said the riskier it'll be. He said probably in February he said we'll be back to where we are now and we'll be back with another national lockdown. Professor Steins criticised the national response in terms of establishing effective contact tracing. He said, although Christmas will be difficult for politicians to manoeuvre, he said the government is there to provide the leadership. He said, Europe has made a dog's breakfast out of this. Europe is a disaster area. And he kind of is pleading and saying to the politicians, get it right, do it right this time. It might be a painful Christmas for many people, but look what will happen. We could be looking at our economy fully back up and running in February. And I know the Junior Minister Robert Troy yesterday he failed to provide any clarity over what restrictions may, may be in place in Christmas. I quote, when he was asked yesterday he said the situation has been kept under review. He said, I can't honestly say here today in terms of what is going to happen at, at Christmas only to say that the government with effort with the public health advice were keeping the situation under constant control. Dr Neil O'Connor is with the Irish College of General Practitioners, their lead advisor on COVID. She said the focus this year will be and should be on a safe Christmas. She says, I think we've all got to think carefully as a society how we're going to manage Christmas this year. She says Christmas is really important to Ireland. But what we have to do is to try to focus on how we can have Christmas, but how we can do it in a safe manner. She said, yes, Christmas will be different, but it's to try to have it in a, in a normal way. If there's too much getting together of people in close, crowded, poorly ventilated indoor spaces. I mean, what she's, she's describing there basically is pubs, isn't she? She's talking about crowded pubs. She said that's exactly where the virus loves to spread and, and 
Killian de Gascoigne of Neffet said at the weekend that the team were considering introducing a limit on the number of close contacts people will be allowed. I think what they're suggesting is they will all end up getting into some kind of social bubbles like you maybe you will pick one other family that you will socialise uh, with or you know a couple you'll socialise with and you limit it to that and you won't be meeting up with say one group of people tonight one set of friends tonight and then you meet up with another couple tomorrow night and then sure I'll go out on Saturday night with uh, another friend of mine you'll pick who who will be your close contacts and then you'll stick with that and then arrange these kind of social bubbles I know that that's what they're doing certainly over in the United Kingdom and uh, Sinn Féin's Kathleen Funchen said the government have to provide more clarity to allow people to plan for the festive season and tell people what it's going to look like. She said people were told for the last number of weeks that we had to go into level five to sort of save Christmas. If we wanted to have any kind of a Christmas, we had to go into level five. Now, she says, we're seeing that it's going to be very, very restricted anyway. But I think she's right. I think if they come out and say, this is the reality, this is what Christmas is going to look like, this is what we're planning for, these are what the restrictions were going to be, I think people would probably accept it more. But I think it's the fact that people don't know and don't know if they can plan like that young nurse over over in England. I mean, I think deep down she probably knows she's not going to be coming home for Christmas. But do we need, would people prefer to know in advance or are you with the group of people who are saying, and some indeed even within Neffert will say, Dr Tony Houlihan is one who has spoken before when they've said, well, what's it going to look like in the middle of December? He keeps saying, we can't make any calls until it is closer to the time. Or do they decide now as... Dr. Ant- Professor Anthony Staines has said, keep suppressing, keep pushing the virus down, continue it throughout the month of December, do it into January. And then by the time we get to the end of January, we'll be in similar situations to New Zealand and to Australia and we can reopen our country, whereby we would have people back attending matches, we would have our restaurants open, we'd have our bars uh, open and we will be back with a much more open society. Would that be the way to go? 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls uh, today. You can text our WhatsApp 086 to 103103. Eddie is in Mahan. Uh, good morning to you, Eddie. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're, good morning, listeners. You're, you're welcome. You disagree with uh, Karen, who emailed us from uh, London. Well, I so, do sympathise with her for not being able to come home to see her family. Yeah. And that's, she's not the only one, does lots of people. But uh, Cork won a game yesterday that we weren't expected to win, first of all. We won it in spectacular fashion. Uh, and under fierce, heavy ground. And the other players, uh, when they win the game after 8, 9, 12 years, it's uh, a great boost. And they, they celebrate it, and they just went uh, for a, a moment of madness. Now, if if uh, we all had to worry about uh, all the person there that wearing a mask, or the person there that wearing a mask, we may as well stay inside in bed in the morning and wait until our time is called. Yeah, I did defend Ronan McCarthy and, and he'll, he'll probably look at the picture and if and say, I should have been wearing a mask or I shouldn't have. But it was the heat of the moment. It was that moment and I imagine it was seconds after the whistle blew, he probably ran onto the pitch. That's right. I, I, I saw it, yes. It was very good. And uh, he did, the two players lifted him up and they hugged each other. But like, uh, that's the heat of the moment and that takes excitement. Even if Kerry won it, it would have been exciting for them as well, in fairness. But like, we won it in spectacular uh, fashion. 
uh, the last kick of the game. I know, and but there is another. There is another member of the management team. I just I don't know if John Paul knows who it is. I don't have a name on this other man. He's got a mask on, so some of the officials were wearing masks. That's right, and maybe as you said, probably Ronan might have. Um, uh, he might be a medical reason. Now. Yeah, there could be. Yeah. yeah, there could be a medical reason. All right, but yeah. you, you, um, you, you, you think she's wrong to criticise that photograph? I think she's. Yeah, I think she's because it's, it's only it was only a moment in time, and uh, and uh, it, it, it was expressing uh, delight and happiness. Okay, and were you you were thrilled with the result? Oh, I was. Uh, you'd nearly hear me roaring down in Mellor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, wife, uh, my wife my wife is alongside me and she, she jumped out of the chair when I roared <laughs> I saw so, somebody say Kerry are having a bad run they've lost fungi and they lost the football <laughs> well just like this I put out, they, they, they've no roses they've no fungi and they've no stem <laughs> they'll have a miserable Christmas this year for sure listen th- thanks for that Eddie and thanks for joining us uh, good morning Jim. bye bye eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. it was the sweetest way you could ever ask to beat Kerry says uh, somebody else John Inclan says Patricia on that photograph on Rona McCarthy I would think all the players in the management are tested for Covid actually John Paul raised, raised that same issue as well they train they meet and they play together I would be surprised if they hadn't been tested says John in uh, Clonakilty and someone else says Patricia you can tell that young nurse in uh, London that Ronan McCarthy is actually in a pod with the players for the last number of weeks they're all in like a sort of a social pod together uh, so therefore they would have all been okay to have hugged each other at the end of the match 1850 my tree She rides the night next to me She leads me through moonlight only to burn me with the sun She's taking my heart but she doesn't know what she's done Feel the breath in my face close to me Can't look in her eyes She's out of my league Just a fool to believe I have anything she needs She's like the wind
music from Patrick Swayze on C103 and She's Like the Wind. Okay, more of your reaction to Karen who's emailed us from London who is complaining about the photograph that she saw online of the Cork manager Rona McCarthy celebrating with uh, two of the players. They'd actually lifted him up and you can sense the excitement after the Cork win uh, yesterday. But Karen's argument was he wasn't wearing a mask and they were all on top of each other uh, hugging and she's not able to come home for Christmas this year and or she doesn't, it doesn't look like she'll be able to come home for Christmas this year and she hasn't been able to see her grandmother all year and she's finding it utterly heartbreaking. Mary in Roscarby says what about our Taoiseach Micheál Martin and our President Michael D Higgins who were at the Remembrance Day ceremonies yesterday. They were not wearing masks. Why is this nurse picking on Rona McCarthy? The match gave us all a huge boost yesterday. Why attack Ronan? In, in fairness I don't, I don't think she's in particularly attacking Ronan and on the Remembrance Day ceremonies they might have been wearing masks but they were they were certainly all socially distance and if you're so if you're two metres away from people outside you don't have to wear a mask so I'm assuming you've forgotten to me or Martin and Michael D. Higgins that would be our answer on that. Nora in Bantier says is Karen for real? Yes, we're all hurting when it comes to COVID, but really a massive boost for Cork yesterday for the entire county, for people with everything going on. And she picks on those few sick few seconds. I feel she can't come home for Christmas, but she's not on her own. So many other Irish will be in the same ro- boat. She is wrong to pick on the Cork manager. Mike in Skibbereen says, I do agree with that young nurse in, in what she says in her email. Uh, what, but what she failed to also say that there was 36 other players who were all up on top of each other and every one of those individuals will be heading home to their families. I feel no sport should be played this year, particularly when they have to go back to their families after the uh, match. Tim says is agreeing with that comment, saying matches shouldn't be going ahead. Uh, it is absolutely ridiculous. All these matches should 
end. Hi, Patricia. The person who you're speaking about in the photograph with the face mask was the medical person. And according to the GAA, the medical person has to wear the mask uh, all of the time. 1850 333 103. And someone else, there's a few people saying, oh, they're all in pods together for training purposes and for playing purposes. Somebody says, well, whether they're in a pod or not, they still end up going home. They're not in a pod whereby they're all going away and they're staying in a hotel together. They all have to return to their homes and I'm assuming majority of them are getting up for work uh, this morning. Uh, John Paul continues to take your calls, 1850 I'm going to take a quick break and then actually we're back chatting with Finbar McCarthy about the match yesterday. Egg foil and mock quid then and here is Farlin. Shot eight thrower C one oh three air kirkig. Is there in Devil Yaston Gahiraho Elizabeth Fort? A gasterter gwitcha or chandus na sample is far the rune rail to hrahoch on shachtu hishdiak. Kigger atogoche harnablienta. Hogalord on dun on giat law real force lefeshkint. Atogoch a doos border. Sivlian shadiak sahayan. When saltas rarkana untocha erchahar hurkli o ali na nunta. Agas tog truss hun faulum fest baron duin agas na kaharach. Now, in the last minute of extra time at an empty pork equeef, Cork needed a score to take it to penalties and had been working the ball through hands looking for an opening when this happens. Sean Meehan in possession we're inside the final 10 seconds how much more is Derek O'Mahony going to add on? Means broke through two tackles they still have an opportunity for a score walks it across over here over towards Damien Gore Gore's after coming onto the field Luke Connolly 15 seconds left in the car Connolly goes on shot it's high it's high he's going to land inside the parallelogram still inside it's a square it's gone it's gone it's gone it's gone Merkin Merkin has got the goal would you believe it 21 Mid's got the clock. Cook, I've got the goal. What is left of it? Delive by two points. Colleen, and it's all over. Would you believe it? Cook, have won. I'm plucked. Carry out. It's unbelievable. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> what can I say in the last tick of the game? They think it's all over. It is now. Finbar McCarthy, uh, our GAA reporter, joins me, the commentator by, uh, by the way, there was Patrick Mulcahy. Uh, good morning to you, Finbar. Morning, Patricia. How are you? It, it, it just makes me smile. I know how many times I've heard that clip and it just makes me smile. Did you always believe that the team had the ability to beat Kerry? I suppose if I've been realistic, we were really, really underdogs. And you're always kind of hoping for a big performance. And But the longer the match went on and that, that Kerry didn't pull away from us, you were saying, you know, we're still in this and anything could happen. And as you just said, it did. And, you know, there's no better way to beat your neighbours than with a goal in the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> they, need to drive them mad. The, the, the weather was atrocious yesterday. What what impact did the weather have on the game? Well, it probably balanced it out a bit because I mean we were all kind of fearful of the the, the quality that Kerry have in their forwards, and it kind of made a bit of a lottery. But we're being that's been a bit unfair on the cockback. So some two of them were making their championship debut: uh, Mara Shanley from Clan and Shami from Kish Game, who actually made a run that led to that goal. They were outstanding all through. It was an incredible performance. Cork had a game plan, Trisha, and they stuck to it. And in the end, it came right for them. And talk to me about this young lad, Mark Kane from uh, Mitchellstown. He's he's home from Australia, isn't he? Because the yeah. AFL off season. Yeah, in in the post match interview, um, Ronan McCarthy was asked that question, and he gave the, the background. Apparently, he was kind of feeling a bit homesick and Collingwood allowed him to come home. He signed a two-year contract 
And generally, when a player comes home for the for the winter like that, you're not a left, you're not a low player. There was a, some lad in Kerry last year, wanted to play with his club, and his club in Australia wouldn't let him. But apparently, Cork and Collingwood came to a deal to let him play, maybe boost the lad's confidence. He's 21 years of age. Um, he signed a two-year contract. I, I understand he's going back out there when the season gets up and running again. So if they brought him into the panel, uh, he came home sometime in a couple of weeks, few weeks back, and he had to self-isolate then for two weeks because travelling into the country. He did that. He's had very little game time or training under his belt, but he'll be forever remembered that got the goal that <laughs> not carry out the judge. He will indeed, and he only came on in the second half, wasn't it? He, he only came on, and it, to be fair to the lad, he had a whole lot of impact on the game. He, he caught one ball and the referee gave a free out. He gave another pass and Cock actually got a point over it. So I think he touched the ball about four times. And the last one, well, as they say, write the headlines. We'll be talking about this in another 10 years, I, well, I guarantee you. <laughs> well, we're still, we're still talking about 1983. <laughs> Similar circumstances. And I remember I was at I was at the match at the far end of the ground. The weather conditions were similar. It was buckling down rain. Crowd was small because Cork had no chance and Tyge Murphy, he's dining out on it since. He got a goal in the last minute and, but, um, you know, it's, look, Trisha, everybody needed a lift. We've all know what we've been through. People, some people are saying the GA should be continued but to, for, for days like yesterday and for local radio to be there and to bring that story to people, it's, it's just magic. I was reading in one of the newspapers, in which paper I was reading uh, this morning, uh, one of the commentators was saying that the Kerry management and the players looked like the sky had fallen in on them. There was the sense they couldn't believe that they'd been beaten. Yeah, I looked, they were raging hot favourites. No one, we all saw past Flans headlines and well, Cork had the hope and all this. And, but deep down, if you don't believe you're not going to win, you have no business going out and playing. And obviously Cork believed they could win. But look, no one gave us a chance. I watched the, I watched the rerun of the match late last night now because whatever circumstances, and Colin Cooper and Colin Monroe, they gave Cork no chance before the match. And that's understandable. Kerry are the Division 1 National League champions, Cork were in Division 3, and the Gulf is, is the preparation Kerry would have had would have been a bit better. But you have to take your head off to the Cork management and to Cork players. But that's the beauty of sport. If we all knew the results before the prepare, we wouldn't bother going there. And Cork hasn't beaten Kerry in in eight years. Yeah, eight years. Wow. Uh, eight years, and I think it's 1990. 1999 since we actually beat them since we knocked them out of the championship I think now I'd have to do my research wow. on that but wow. because, and it was the first knockout match in 20 years so because of the structure of the championship which was 8 years they were going for 9 in a row this year 9 and the, the reality you now is Patricia, Patricia Cork are 2 games away from the All-Ireland final all I have to do now is hold their head and hopefully they can get there and I mentioned earlier when I was teeing up the programme, I mean, it was a good weekend, not for, for Cork. There was the hurlers won and the ladies, footballers won. Yeah, and even though the Camogie team lost, they were already guaranteed a place in the quarterfinal, which is on next Saturday at Park Keep at one o'clock. So all four Cork teams are still in contention for their respective All-Ireland. And at this time of the year, you can't ask for much more. Yeah, and Cork now to face Tipperary in the second round of the hurling championship qualifiers. That's yeah, next that's, next weekend. That's next 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 Saturday, actually, and we even though it hasn't been confirmed, we understand it will be in in Limerick because the Munster hurling final is on in Torres on Saturday. The Camogie teams are playing in the park, so Limerick looks like to be the venue. Probably Saturday at four o'clock. We we'll get that confirmed this afternoon. 
Okay, all right. And a video of your response to the goal, uh, Finbar. I I cannot let the moment pass without talking about it. There was this amazing video clip of Finbar. Was it Ken? Was it was is it Ken Parrish? Ken Parrish was one of our Ken own Parrish workers. Yeah. Was yeah. one of our own uh, street fleet guys uh, took it. It was your response to uh, you just jumped up, and it was. I think you summed up how the entire city and county felt at that moment. What reaction have you been getting? to to the video clip? Oh, I was just saying to John Paul there, Patricia, it's unbelievable. Oh, look, Twitter went wild. It's gone all over. I got a phone call from a friend of mine just at the end of and he told me that it's some guy put into a WhatsApp group in America and it's gone all over the place. But look, I came out to my car and there was 43 WhatsApp <laughs> messages there for me. My phone didn't stop all night last night. I was sitting down watching the telly with me and he said, would you ever turn that damn thing off? He said, just beep, beep, beep. But look, I, I just passionate about GA in general. My club, Glenrover and Senex and Cork, they mean the whole lot to me. And it was just a natural reaction to winning and I, I just love what I'm love doing what I'm doing and to get that opportunity to express your emotions. Look, I've done it with the Glen one, I've done it with Senex one, I've done it with the Horrors one. But to do it just a... Oh, Massive, uh, yeah, and massive. you were you were one of the blessed few who was yeah. there, you know, and and, yeah. I, and I know you will be very aware and very conscious of that that it was a privilege to actually be there. Perfectly true, Patricia, and I, you know, as some look, we are in the privileged position of being able to go to the game, and you know, for that we're grateful. And look, at least we brought some joy to the people of Carcass and beyond. Turns out, but I am very privileged to be there. I really enjoy doing what I'm doing. I get a great kick out of it. And to be there yesterday was just so, so, so special. Okay, all right. Somebody says that their Jack Russell was was barking mad every time that <laughs> clip of Patrick Mulcahy <laughs> is played. Somebody else says, is it true the Cork hurling match is only on Sky next week? If so, disaster. Possibly so. I think Sky have the race to the Saturday afternoon game. We should listen. Tell him tune in to C103. John Cashman and Paddy Sol will be there. And that's the best way. It's It's... <laughs> It's the best way. But local radio is best just to... Oh, yeah, but, it, but it is for any of those matches. It's yeah, to have it the is, local yeah. commentary because you won't get that excitement. No, I'm not knocking national broadcasters or international no, broadcasters, no, no. but you can't get that same passion that you've just spoken about when it's your no, own, no, when it's no, your no, own team playing. And Bill in East Cork, question for Finbar. Did Finbar notice some of the Kerry players did not wear gum shields during the game? And then Bill says one guy took his gum shield out and put it into his sock. Surely there should be COVID rules around all of that, the wearing of gum shields? Yeah, yeah I suppose. Look, there, there's so many COVID rules now if you were to go to every one of them. And, but the rules of the association is are the rules of Gaelic football and hurling and Camogie Nails football. If you don't have a gum shield, well, it's different than hurling because you have the, the face mask. But I know in football, if you don't wear a gum shield in the rest spots, you get a yellow card. And if oh. you don't do it, you get a second yellow card and you're off the field. Okay, all right. Okay, so, but obviously the ref can't see everything that's going on. Can't see everything, yeah. All of the quite, time. Which, uh, another ironic twist, Patricia, in 1983, when Connacht got the goal to beat Kerry, it was in the same goal, the same end of the field. In 1983, the referee was a temporary man, John Malone. He sat in all along with us. And the referee yesterday was from Tipperary. So the cars were stacked in our favour yesterday. Stars were aligned. All right. <laughs> OK. And and just one final one, because we've been, we're still getting calls and comments in on yeah. it. The hugging of the players after the match and the manager and the picture that went viral on, it was RT.ie shared it, of Rona McCarthy celebrating with the two players. They're almost lifting him off. I think they are lifting him off the ground and he's not wearing a mask and they're all hugging each other. Was that just a moment in time of just... Ah, sure, look. Patricia, we all know what's going on in the world, but you can't enjoy what happened yesterday. 
turn off the telly and turn off the radio and sit in a room. <laughs> like, to be fair, like, what are they supposed to do? They just won an amazing match. And it's a natural reaction of people, you know. These guys are tested regularly. And if if they were to go down that road, there'd be no matches played because there's a contact in the match. You're touching the fella. Look, maybe I'm a bit flippant there, but at the end of the day, you just have to express your emotions after a game. And bumping elbows to say congratulations would have... <laughs> Wouldn't, wouldn't have seemed like the correct gesture. Yeah, <laughs> they were doing that after the match with the opposing teams and the, the, the referee was doing it after the match. You know? so, but look, okay. it's just, we're, we, as you know, Patricia, we live in extraordinary times and you've been dealing with it all since it happened. We do the best we can. Yeah. All right, well done. Well, and well done to you and to, and to Patrick yesterday. And thank you for giving us a lift, particularly with that, your little uh, video that went viral. Thanks for that, Finbar. Look Thanks, after Patricia, yourself. Take you. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Finbar McCarthy, our GAA correspondent. I'll come back to your thoughts and comments coming in about the match yesterday and in particular about should the GAA matches be going ahead? And some group of people are saying, absolutely, the lift. It's after giving everybody. But others saying that it's wrong and that with people are sacrificing so much and it's very difficult then for people who are sacrificing a lot to watch players hugging particularly after the match so I will get back to that back to that issue because I can see a lot of commentary coming in but I want to move to a completely different topic because a North Cork councillor is trying to put the spotlight on the issue of homelessness in rural areas and he says in recent weeks he's come across many sad cases of people who for the first time in their lives find themselves with no place to call home Independent Councillor Frank Roach uh, joins me Good morning to you Frank Good morning And, and you're, you're welcome When we talk about homeless uh, people we have a tendency to see them as people with addiction issues and people living on the streets of our cities. We don't really talk about them in rural areas. You say we need to start focusing on that now. Oh, it's an awful problem, Patricia. And when I did that interview with um, the Avenue newspaper, I had in my mind 25 people that I actually had known that would be in those circumstances. Now, within a day, we had that increased to 30 and since that article went on the newspaper, I've had people from various parts of the country ringing me and naming different people. So I could actually take you this minute to probably 50 or 60 people that are, are the new working poor people that I get up in the morning to do their day work, and they are now actually virtually homeless. OK, give me, give me examples of some of the cases, without obviously naming names and areas. Just give me an example of some of the conditions that people are now finding themselves in and how they're living. Well, I, I, I have one farmer that comes to my mind that's actually, his house had burnt down and he's actually living in a caravan and the door was blown off it in the wind and that man is actually in that caravan and he puts a sheet of plywood up by night and put a, put a chair against the sheet of plywood and turned on a gas heater. Now, it's absolutely scandalous, but the problem in that man's case, I know a lot of people say, why wouldn't a farmer sell land? There's a probate problem, because probate was never taken out in his farm. And when his parents died 35 and 40 years ago, there was no will, and there's a family dispute going on there since. Now, while he still remains on the land, and he's kind of working, I won't call it to the uh, topless farm, but he's working, he's working away in his farm. But he could not even sell a site to finance a new house. And this is an awful lot of these shows, with an awful lot of these bachelor farmers, that between family disputes, and no legal, not proper legal um, place thing being put in order, 
means that a lot of these people can't even sell a site or sell a bit of ground if they need to put up one of these houses or, or need to get better living conditions for themselves. And would a lot of local people, Frank, in your opinion, not be aware that some people are living like that in their area? Well, you see, they, they don't realise that it it's brought to their attention. But when you bring it to their attention, everybody <coughs> will tell you then, oh yeah, that's right, there's such a person up the road or there's such a person down the road. But we all pass along and we've been so busy in our daily lives that we don't see these things until they're highlighted to us. Now, it's been highlighted about the major cities where people are sleeping indoors and sleeping in the streets or sleeping in sleeping bags. But that's going on in everybody's doorstep. And people don't actually realise it until it's pointed out to them. And like, in the past, they years ago, the older farm women, the older country women, there might be some bachelor down the road and he called for the cup of tea. He'd, there was more community uh, help out there years ago. Whereas everybody was rushing and racing. And these people are being, are being passed by, really. And it's mainly men? Well, if it's a, the majority of men, because men won't look for help. Women are better to probably fend for themselves and they're better to maintain houses and they're better to, in that side of things, because the nature of women. Whereas these men, the conditions they're living in, in, in an awful lot of the houses, they're full of papers and, uh, and, and not cleaned. And they just they're into a road that they can't get out of. Yeah, and we have, there are really fantastic homeless services in the city helping out people who find themselves in situations like that. We don't have those services in the very rural areas because, we, we as you say, it's a hidden problem. People aren't even aware it's going on. People won't ask for it. These people won't ask for it. No, I had one very interesting uh, phone call from a young girl. She was only 20 years of age. And she cried for the whole conversation. And to be honest, with you, I nearly cried myself the way that she actually explained it. Her mother and father, her father was in a trade. Her mother and father broke up. And the father did the honourable thing. He left the house to the mother and the children. And he moved out. Now, he has a small little bit of a premises. Now, it is a shack, really. But this girl cried because she takes her father a hot meal as often as she can. And she said every time she goes up to him, there's tears in his eyes, and he often cries. Now, he told her, through the marriage breakup, he spent 140000 on legal fees, auctioneers, values. The general breakup cost him 140000 oh, This girl is only 20 years of age, and she said to me, she said, Frank, if Dad went down to naming two local villages with 140000 in his hand, he probably would have got a house himself. But sadly... His 140,000 was eat up between our professionals, our so-called professionals. And here is this man sleeping in a shed now. Shocking. And see, it's it's shocking and it's, it's a problem, as you say, you're identifying it in your local area, but this is an issue. It's, it's a nationwide issue. It's not just something that's happening here in Cork. OK, I'm way over on time, Frank. It's an issue uh, we certainly will return to again. But in the meantime, thank you for that. And thanks for highlighting it uh, as well. I think it's good to talk about it. Uh, thanks for joining us. That is Independent North Cork Councillor Frank Rhodes. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Still lots and lots of calls coming in about the match yesterday and post-match, the hugging that happened and that moment in time when the players, I suppose, forgot completely what was going on and the management and everybody hugging each other and not everybody that not everybody happy with it. And I can see from some of the texts coming in, some people are still not happy the fact that the matches are going ahead at all. And 
what happened with all of the hugging after the match. People are saying that's the very reason why we think these matches shouldn't be going ahead. But I'm, I have to say, Stephen, one of our listeners from County Kerry, has contacted us. Good morning to you, uh, Stephen. And we hope that you're doing well today. He says, what is the big deal in all of this, uh, Patricia, apart from if one is a Cork supporter? Personally, I'm not even surprised. Number one, it's all on the day. And number two, more importantly, from my point of view, Kerry had been throwing away leads in big games for the past 20 years since roughly the year 2000. They have an inability to defend a lead and no manager since then has been able to fix the problem. Good luck to Cork for the rest of the campaign and that comes in from one of our good friends of the programme Stephen in County Kerry. Thank you for that uh, Stephen. Stay well. This is Redmond in Middleton. As far as I know, says Redmond, all the players in the team management are continuously tested for COVID. So there really is no danger. If your contributor was told she had just won four million, say, in the lotto, she'd also jump into the arms of somebody close to her without wearing a mask. That's how Rona McCarthy, the Cork manager, felt in that exact moment yesterday. As Redmond in Middleton. Anne wants to know that nurse, Karen, in London, is she from Kerry? <laughs> No, she's not. She's Cork. I'm very proud to be from Cork. And she's actually she started her email by sending congratulations to the boys and, you know, said like her, even though she's in London, the rest of the people across Cork City and County. She was thrilled for the win, but it was just what happened afterwards. The GAA, says another texter, are not beyond anybody else. Are, are they? Stop defending the indefensible. The bubble is meant for people as per their restrictions. Is it the case that the GAA can do what they wish, says this texter? Liz says the marts and the farmers can't operate. And once again, the GAA go on to let everybody down by all the hugging that went on after the match. And to do with the GAA, but it's a different topic. A listener says, Patricia, am I the only one driven mad by the terrible background noise on GA matches over the weekend. What do other listeners think about it? Well, I can tell you how, how one listener gets over it for sure. Tess says, Patricia, I watched the match on television and I turned down the sound and I turned on C103 for the sound. Up the Rebels. It is the only way to watch the match. That's from Liz. Thank you for that, uh, Liz. The Cork and Kerry teams. But sorry, on the background noise, I'm assuming it's the dubbed I I wasn't I was listening to it on the radio I wasn't watching it on the TV is it the cheers that stubbed in is is that what it is I, I, I'd have to check with John Paul to see was he watching it on, on TV I'm assuming that that's what that listener is talking about has anybody else got an issue with that another texter says the Cork and Kerry teams were both a disgrace after the match with all the hugging I have a family member at the moment with Covid and believe me this is not a pleasant disease what a shame for adults to carry on that way says a texter to the programme some of your whatsapps coming in Jim said I had a draw back to 12 to 1 whoa and the added bonus of Cork beating Kerry was the only way to beat Kerry with a last minute goal well done to Saoirse Noonan also scoring the crucial goal for the Cork ladies team in the win over Kerry also and scored two points for Cork City soccer team yesterday in the in the cup semi-final She's a special talent. She is indeed. Go Sarah Noonan, that's for sure. Hi, uh, Patricia. Just a comment to the people who are criticising the GA pair's celebration yesterday. 
I thought, that the Biden relatives and supporters in County Mayo yesterday, none of them were adhering to safety measures. They weren't socially distancing and not a, a mask was in sight when they were being photographed or interviewed, says Mary. Did anyone else notice that? I did. I, I certainly did. I think I saw one or two wearing masks, but the majority were not and they didn't appear to be social, social distancing. When you looked at the the families, the Harris and Biden family, when they came on stage, and they might have been social distancing, but they would have been on in a family unit anyway. But every one of them were wearing masks. I, they, that was qu- quite noticeable. But yes, I did notice that when I watched it on the uh, news. Hi, Patricia, this is Anne. I think that that nurse, Karen, who emailed the show, was wrong to pick on that moment of the manager giving a hug as he is in a bubble with his players and I'm sure they're all checked for COVID-19. I'm a granny, says Anne, and all my grandchildren are abroad and I'm also heartbroken because I can't have them and I can't see them to give them a hug. But that's the way it is at the moment. Kind regards, says Anne. So basically saying to to Karen, you're not on your own. There's a lot of other people going through the same thing. But then the girls in Mallow sent in a WhatsApp saying, we agree with that nurse. Uh, the, The GAA, these matches should not be played. It is unreal what is going on at the moment at some of these matches. Sheila in North Cork says, I was watching the game yesterday and I actually passed a remark to my husband. The fact that so many on the sideline were not wearing masks. At the end of the day, we're all doing our part. So I agree with Karen and what she had to say, emailing you from uh, London. Billy and Barry says, I've got every sympathy with Karen and I do agree with her. Bearing in mind that she's one of the thousands of people in London and in the United Kingdom and indeed all over the world who want to get home and see their loved ones for Christmas, especially those that they may never see again. It's selfishness that these games need to be played while everybody else is doing what they are told. I felt it was bad manner doing what they did at the end of the match yesterday. John in Mitchestown says, while we're talking about the match, he just wants to chip in to say how very proud everyone in Mitchestown is of our Mark Keane, who scored the winning goal. So proud, says John in uh, Mitchellstown. Alison in Crosshaven says, how can people be so picky about this match yesterday? Did anybody see uh, Sean Powter's interview after the game on TV. He was emotional and the smile on his face uh, just summed up how he was feeling and what this win meant. So how can people start picking on these players uh, because of COVID? While Mia in Bandon certainly wasn't happy with our own GA correspondent, Finber McCarthy, when I asked Finber and I started explaining to Finber about the type of calls and texts we were getting in with regard to what happened after the match, Mia thought that because Fimber then was defending what had happened. She thought Fimber was very dismissive about what's going on in this country with relation to COVID-19. Fimber said that if we couldn't do what the players did, i.e. in celebrating yesterday, we might as well all stay locked up in a room. They, that, they are crazy comments to be making, considering what people are going through at the moment, says Mia in Bandon. Not good enough. She feels that Fimber should admit that he made a mistake, should admit that he was over the top with his comments on the programme and that he should simply say sorry. And Stephen Amala says, I feel Karen, the nurse in London, is nitpicking on the mask wearing. 
but I think that the Cork win is the moment of the year for 2020. I understand her point of view and I sympathise with her that she's not able to come home for Christmas. But at the end of the day, what happened after the match was all in the heat of the moment. 1850-333-103 and we're just getting reports in of a collision collision in Ahabolic, it's on the Rylan Road and it's just beyond the church. So please drive with care if you're in that area. A collision in Ahabolic on the Rylan Road beyond the church. Text or WhatsApp us to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A full-time window fitter is wanted for an immediate start that's in the West Cork area. While a receptionist is required, it's for a 10-month maternity cover in the Canturk Mallow area. Crafted, crafted fitted furniture, they're based in Lifts Griffin. They're looking for a kitchen sprayer. While a qualified childcare practitioner is required for a preschool in Mallow. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Much loved broadcaster John Creedon has just published his first book, which is an absolute joy and it's a must for anyone who has any kind of interest or is curious about Irish place names. John Creedon joins me to discuss his book, which is called The Place We Call Home. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Um, and what about, what about that place we call home called Cork, huh? And a great <laughs> win. Were you watching it yesterday? Oh, was I? What? I mean, I was mirroring Finney. As it turns out, I was watching it at home. And when that goal went in, I, I actually tripped on a coffee table. Oh, I no. gave a left. I was on my own. Hopped my shoulder off the door, which I had left open. But I, I was uh, saying to someone afterwards, I was saying it's a bit like, um, you know, like you, you're, you're sitting there and you're praying against hope that we might get the one point to equalise. And then without warning, all three come together. Yeah. It's like game, set and match. So, And I have to say, the Kerry Crow were really magnanimous. I heard one of your callers there earlier on. Um, I had a lovely text from Dahi O'Shea last night. A Great. few of the O'Sheas actually texted me. And all I have to say, magnanimous, kind of neighbour's children, which is something that uh, you have to appreciate. Whatever about the math, I have to say... Um, it was a great result. Despite yeah, cause it, but it is, uh, for, for our Kerry listeners, and we do have a lot of Kerry listeners, you know, they, they're having a rough year. They've lost Fungi. They've, yeah. They lost the Roses. And now, they've, now they've lost Sam. Yeah. yeah you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. tough. Now, back to your book. Your, oh, yeah. your, your book, as, as I mentioned in the introduction, it's, it's an absolute joy. And I heard somebody in another interview say to you, you know, were you, were you like, were you bored during lockdown? Is that, that how you wrote it? And I, was, I, I smiled to myself when I heard that comment because I was reading it. I mean, the amount of information that is contained in this book, you've, you've been working on this book for quite some time, I take it. Well, I suppose not, well, not with a book in mind. I just had a great grow for place names and place. A genuine detail of place is very important. And I know they often say about us, you know, that we get homesick even when we're at home. But that actually is a wonderful thing. And in the opening of the book there, I'm talking about flights, a long, long-haul flight I was on, and where I unexpectedly turned the page and there was a map of Ireland. And it was almost like seeing my mother in a crowd where I didn't expect to see her, that there was that connection a physiological connection, connection with home. It's like someone's been away in college or away working abroad in England and they turn that bend on the road and there she is by home, you know? And mm. so, so there is that huge connection with home. And I think it's very important, dare I say, for, for our mental health as well. 
I often think that, you know, as, as an old fella, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm getting there. Incidentally, congratulations on the 30th. Thank you I remember, very much. I remember the day you started. It was the same day I made my communion. Ah, my <laughs> yeah, pop, yeah. <laughs> yeah, little no, pop. <laughs> no, I had to take the opportunity to wish you well. Because, Thank you. No, you've, been, you've been a regular in my life as well. But anyway, um, that's enough about you. It's all about me, me, me now. It right? is, yeah. This, this, this is all about you. And it's, you know, when, um, and whatever it is, I think it's about the Irish as well and what home means, means to us. I was finishing reading your book at the weekend while obviously fixated with what was going on in the States. And yeah. and I've been reading a lot about Joe Biden over the weekend. And he, ha- he, he has such a connection with Ireland because of his ancestors. And there was that video clip of him when he was over visiting the grave of one of his ancestors and the way he put his hand on the stone to almost feel the people and it just struck me it's it's almost like it's in our DNA to be I Irish. I, I, I really think it is. Um, maybe maybe everyone doesn't feel this way about it but I genuinely feel that like especially if I'm on my own or given enough time or if I go on a long enough walk you start to kind of resonate with the with the landscape around you and you have to when you look at a, sto- a dry stone wall you have to wonder about the man who lifted that stone up with his two hands and placed it just there. And for, for me, crossing Patrick's Bridge, because even though my roots are in West Cork, um, I grew up right in the middle of the city centre at the foot of Patrick's Hill. So even as a little boy, crossing Pat, Pat, Patrick's Bridge, um, I'd often think about, my God, think of all the other famous people who walked across this bridge, like Queen Victoria came across this bridge. Mm. John F. Kennedy came across this bridge in a car and he didn't know he was going to get shot a few months later. Um, you know, Christy Ring crossed this bridge. Jack Lynch crossed this bridge. Um, so that sense that just beneath my feet is this history. Ella Fitzgerald sashayed across the bridge on her way back to the Opera House up to the Metropole after the Jazz Festival. I'm talking, and that's just a sprinkling of names. Michael Collins would yeah. probably have swaggered across that bridge after a pint or two or something. So, and then I'm, as a child, I'm kind of asking myself, what's in the muck? What's in the mud underneath the bridge? There's probably swords and murder weapons and engagement rings and everything inside there, right? And so it's that sense of we're passing through time, but somebody else walked the stage before us, somebody else who was born on a Tuesday and has a date of birth and had a toothache and had hopes and loved and lost and died. And, you know, these are real people. And And you you say, I I, I love the line, I mean, you say place names are the clues left by our ancestors. And I I reread that line when when I was reading, I was thinking, that is so true. That is exactly what a place name is. Yeah, and and I'll be honest, Patricia, I'm not a professor of anything. I'm not an academic at all. I just had had a graph of place names. I have average Irish, leaving start Irish, but I went back and pushed it up a bit when I realised the beauty of it and the beauty of some of the terms we use in, in the Irish language. Lady Bird came up recently in conversation. Boeing Day, God's Little Cow. Yeah. The, go- the goldfinch is Lothar Quilla, the little glint of light in the woods, which is what it is. So anyway, um, so bit by bit, I realised, God, our ancestors were gentle, kind, loving people. Uh, Tierna Spadoiga, a town land outside my father's in Chiquila, the land of the robins. Um, Paul and Arrogate, the hole with the money. I actually got a shovel with my cousin and out there and said, we'll start digging and see if we can find it. <laughs> and you <laughs> never well did. <laughs> well, 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 the cousin said to me, I think black and cans took it. <laughs> so, so do you, but do you believe, do you believe most place names can be broken down to, 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 to explain their uh, meanings? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the, the thing about the book at the risk of, of selling it, but um, what, 
there were two things I wanted to include at the back of it. It's really a ramble through the history with a few personal anecdotes about some time I spent, say, up in Mount Mellory. Um, when I talk about monasticism and how so many Irish towns grew out of monastery, this monastery, that's your Cork city itself, grew out of a monastery. Um, Grog would have been a kind of a, um, a hamlet as well, quite often a religious, you know, get-together, Oglish, those names, they pop up all over the place. So a lot of our towns began like that. But I'm also interested in the minor place names, like, like field names, and all over the country. And I've been saying this, I said this to Artie years ago, when I asked him, could I, could I do this? They were kind of saying place names, it's like stamp collecting, isn't it? And I was saying, well, it's not really. I said, I think it's going to become the new genealogy, because people are interested, and particularly with the staycation and the 5K yeah. uh, limitation. I, I think people this summer discovered, I certainly did, we, uh, we discovered parts of this country and what, what a beautiful country we live in. Stunning. So it never ceases to amaze me. Every time I was up around Donegal, we were filming again this year, very slowly, very painstaking because of COVID, restricted in loads of things we could do, but we finally have the series just about done now. So it's kind of drip, 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 drip. And I think it's a strong one and it's going out in February. That's a TV series, again, based on, on place names. But all up around the burn and all that, it was bumper to bumper camper vans. And you're expect, you see the yellow registration plate and you think, ah, English people. No. Um, Northern Ireland mm. and it was just the Irish out in huge numbers rediscovering Ireland and you know what struck me is that lots of people in their 20s and 30s I expect um, would have come out of the Celtic Tiger and the idea of holidays was you get on a plane and you head off someplace and that's great so while many of our I think younger people in particular people of my vintage would have yes the holidays in Kinsale or Yall or whatever or West Cork but I think a lot of people a lot of young people in particular, it might be the first time that they spent a full two weeks in Ireland. Uh, a hen party up in Galway or a weekend in Dingle or a weekend in Killarney, yes. But for people from Dublin to actually spend two weeks in Leitrim or in Donegal yeah. was new. And I think they thought, Jesus, this place is fantastic. Uh, it's expensive, but but it's fantastic. And uh, so I think there is, the book is timely insofar as there's a curiosity about place. And a few people have said to me, Jesus, John, read me, wish we had you in the car with us during the summer because we were wondering about place names in Kerry or wherever, you know? And, you, and, and what I love is at the back of the book, you, you've, you've left blank, blank pages for people to yeah. write down maybe their own favours or local place or, or to, break it, to break it down. And I know yeah. uh, I'm interested in, in you talking about some of the local ones. Um, North Cork, NAD. Yeah, well, you see... One of the wonderful things, when I said to you there, like that our ancestors seemed to have left messages under a stone for us, like people did long ago. They'd leave them. Um, so when you take our place names, they're, they're telling us something. So if you take even animals, for example, that are extinct in Ireland nowadays, uh, well, mind you, the eagle is back, but that were extinct. So the eagle, we have plenty of eagle references. You have Eagle Mountain down in, in, in Dingle, of course, but you've Ned, Ned O'Niller. What a beautiful place name. It translates as the nest of the eagle. So sure enough, up on those lofty heights there around Ned, there would have been eagles, and, and, and they are commemorated to this day with that name. Drum Tariff, the hill of the bull. Drum Tariff. Drum mm. is a hill, Tariff is a bull. Clon Tariff, the meadow of a bull. Clon Tariff. So, um, but, but even extinct animals. Cantor is another beauty. Keown Turk, um, the head of the boar, the wild boar, which is also gone. Now, mind you, that came from um, a, a coat of arms rather than from the actual animal itself. 
But there are loads of those in the TV series and in the book. I've covered Butterfant, which is a real revelation. Butterfant has a brilliant story to it. It's actually French, French Norman. Bouté en avant, which is strike oh, out. Where are you from? Bouté en avant. Oh, yeah, Bouté en avant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds passer than Butterfant. <laughs> yeah, but you see, but you know what? That's an amazing story. That is actually the amazing story. The Barry family. Uh, as the name suggests, Du Barry. They were French Normans. They came in with strong bow, and uh, they've been in Ireland, the Barrys uh, and La Roche, all these great French names which became Roche. Um, they came in with strong bow, and they weren't the worst. The Normans were not the worst, in parts, in ways. They kind of assimilated and became more Irish than the Irish themselves, and they married in, whereas the next crowd, Cromwell's crowd, marched in. That's different. But anyway, uh, so the De Barrys, the Barry clan, family, We've got lands all the way from roughly Bottevent through Donnerail. There's another interesting one, Dune Arrile, um, the fort on a cliff. And can I say, while you're in that general area, the one that yeah. always makes me smile, um, and a fellow broadcaster lives there, uh, or was, is from there, her mum still lives there, New Two Pot House in Ain Crowley's uh, hometown. Um, you discuss that in the book. I do, but that's still a kind of an enigma. It is, I isn't of, it? I, I, I keep getting confused about it, but I think maybe if there is a, a, another TV series again the, next year or the following year, I'll have to do it and call into some of the shops and ask what, because it, it pops up as a place name um, in England. There are similar place names, and the pot refers to a pub, a brewery, or, 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 or um, not a pot still, no, but barrels, beer barrels. So I always assumed it was chimney pots, and... I've looked and I've searched and I've tried to look at them in different places and I have no doubt someone's going to tell me eventually but as soon as they do someone else would say he's talking through his hat it's from the Irish you know what I mean so place names are always a source of very late night conversations they go on and on but but, but, but they do reveal stuff about us and as I mentioned like the wild animals another one I love is the wolf even the Irish word for wolf is mock tira if you remember from your school days yeah and, and Mock Tira literally translates as Mock meaning son and Tira of the countryside. But, so, uh, but animals inspired a lot of place names. Loads of them, loads of them. We've modeled, I mentioned Drum Tariff. Um, another great one, and there's a few of them around the country, is uh, Paula Coppel. Now, someone said to me, is that the horse's hole? And I said, no, it's not. <laughs> it, it's, actually, it's actually the hollow where you would lead a horse after a day's work. It's his own little paddock or whatever you want to call it. So, so Paula Coppel would be the hole or the hollow where the horses kept. But what struck me about that, this is the void imagination running right now again. The place was called Paula Coppel and it wasn't the county council called it Paula Coppel and it wasn't anyone alive today called it Paula Coppel. This was probably called Paula Coppel way back around four or 500 AD, maybe a little later, but, but certainly hundreds of years ago. The point being, there was a natural horse in its day's work and was laid in there, unknowing that a thousand years later, would still be, be commemorated. Yeah. Or be commemorated incredible. Forever. It's incredible. Philip, I think there's a beauty to that. Philip yeah. says, uh, Hi Patricia and John, I'm looking forward to reading John's book. An ancestor of mine, P.W. Joyce, a teacher from Munster, wrote a massive volume on place names earlier in the century. It's good to hear John has updated that information, and that's from uh, Philip well, Joyce I'm, I'm in Connacilty. Sure I'm not sure it's as extensive uh, a work as that because there are some weighty tomes and I should also point out that uh, loganum.ie really will be the, the repository for all this information. And I had great help insofar as all my life I've been curious, I've been fortunate to travel 
pretty much for a living, whether it's filming or this or that. I'm all over the country, and I would I have a coach in every village that I sleep on. But anyway, um, the, the the thing is that it is a personal interest, and and yeah, I did do a certain amount. But of it's also but, there's there's a lot of history in it. I mean, you know, I yeah. love the way you go through how. Ireland, how we actually got the name Ireland itself. I mean, that that, that dates yeah. back to, you can go back to BC, three, it was a 320 BC. That, that'd be Pythias, yeah. The, the weird thing about that is, isn't it such an obvious question that none of us ever asked ourselves? Where, where did Ireland come from? Yeah. And the, 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 the potted history of our country's name. Uh, in fact, the, the, dare I say it, there is, um, I did an item on the tail end of that for the new TV series, which is up in February. And in that, um, I talked to um, Brendan Ferreter and to uh, Fintan O'Toole and a few other people about where, where we might go from here kind of thing because lines are shifting all the time and who knows. But anyway, um, the, 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 the gist of it is um, it's been here for millennia, but um, the Celts, the Milesians, they were here. But the first record of it would have been by a fellow called Pythias who was a Greek, he was a businessman, really, and he travelled from, uh, from from the Aegean Sea up through the Mediterranean, knew what he was doing. He was heading for Devon, Cornwall, that area, to, to buy tin. But he continued exploring afterwards, and he referred to this island to the west of Britannia as uh, Iron, I-E-R-N-E. Iron was roughly how he would have spelled it. And he went on, actually, as far as Iceland, they reckon, because he described the the ice sheets, and he was scoffed at, and he was written off as a clown uh, back home. People didn't believe him, but this is, uh, his account stands up, and he called it the iron. And then in 140 AD, so this is like 100 years after the crucifixion of Christ, just to put it in, in context, about 100 years after the death of Jesus, a man called um, Ptolemy, P-T-O-L-E-M-Y. He was a Greek who lived, I think, for the most part in Egypt, but he was Romanized and he worked for the Romans. He was tasked with mapping uh, what were even then called the British Isles. That that concept did not kind of begin in London. That was actually a Roman view of these couple of islands thrown up here. They refer to it as the Elis Britannica. But anyway, I won't get into that argument because it drives me mad too. But anyway, um, he was sent up to actually map it and using Roman, existing Roman Navy maps and his own studies, his own measurements, he came up with a very, very close uh, facsimile, I suppose, of the modern map of Ireland. It's a little bit chubby, it's a little bit, it's a little bit broader than what it really is. But he, so he mapped the place in 140 AD. Uh, the Romans referred to it as Hibernia, as in winter, because of the bad weather, and that's probably one of the reasons why they never made it this far. They got as far as... I suppose what is now the Scottish border, what became we were too cold. We border. were too cold for them. Yeah, too cold and too tough. I'd say. And, yeah. And, and but you know, one of the wonderful things about that, Patricia, it, that's what gave us our golden age. The fact that we became uh, Christianized not by Roman swords, but for our own reasons, in our own way, in our own unique Celtic Christian way, and we were quite separate from certainly Rome. Um, from a military or a civil or an administrative point of view, it was only when we eventually bent the knee to the Roman Church and became Roman Catholics that we came in from being out there as, as kind of outliers. So when the Roman Empire collapsed, 
and was absolutely smashed to smithereens by the barbarians. The, the Hun, the Goth, the Visigoth, the Angles, the Saxons, they destroyed all the existing Roman Empire. Um, when they decided, when they settled and they decided, we need culture. What, what did the Romans have that we don't have? Well, they had winemaking and they had culture and they had reading and writing and where any bit left. No, we've killed them all. Um, what about the Irish? Yeah, well, it is alive over there still. They still have the holy books and they're still transcribing them. Well, sent to Ireland and let's get some teachers for my kids, you know? Mm. And that's when we went back into Europe and basically cracked the match and got and when, that and when, culture going again. And that's the one thing, and you also deal with it in, in your book, how when the Irish travel, and we have travelled, we've diaspora all over the world, we take names with us. I mean, you talk about like the Limericks, the Dublins and the Tipperaries that are all over the world. And the one thing yeah. that surprised me, there's 13 avocas in the US alone. Yeah, well, the key to that was Timing. Timing is everything, they say. What happened was the gramophone, John McCormack and Irish immigration were all kind of strong at the same time. Um, And John McCormack's recordings of Moore's melodies were very popular in parlours all over America, Australia, wherever the Irish were. But the English as well, they they loved those Moore's melodies. So when he sang The Meeting of the Waters and referred to a vocal, um, people just loved the sound of the name, and for some reason, bit by bit, it became a very trendy name. So there are ranches out in New Zealand and Australia called Avoca. There are small towns and villages called Avoca. Um, and Avoca is one of the most popular. But the funny thing is, I've discovered we actually have Irish place names transplanted to outer space. There are two or three craters on Mars with Irish names. There's a place out there as well, someplace, and I know nothing about space exploration, but there's a place called the Connemara Chaos Zone. And uh, it sounds to me like a house party in <laughs> UCG or something. <laughs> but there's a. So, so our place names, they really are the labels, and once you peel them back, the stories come, come pouring out. So it's the whole 32 counties. There is the glossary, as you say, about, about breaking them down. Um, like, th- th- there are some. Most of them are very simple, really. Most Irish places. Okay, somebody uh, says Clontarf, Clontarf, the meadow of the bulls. We were always told at school in Clontarf that it referred to the waves coming into Dublin Bay, the watery uh, meadow. I don't know what that teacher was on, but mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. No? Uh, no, I wouldn't think so. Uh, no, I can't see any connection at all. Um, it's being given. Now, that may have been something that was misheard or mis misexplained, it could have been a crest or something that showed Dublin Bay with Clune Tara written underneath this and somebody assumed that's what it means. No, uh, like San Mel, which is another beautiful name, Clune Mala, it's the meadow of the honey. Yeah, the, well, uh, that's the, where I'm from and we all, I grew up, it was the Vale of Honey was what it was. Uh, oh, Vale, is it? The meadow Vale. Wasn't, meadow wasn't good enough. No, no, either. Meadow was never good enough for us we, <laughs> or we lived in the Vale of Honey. Yeah. But you know, you know what's amazing, Patricia? This is one of the things that I discovered because um, as I said, there was place names, townlands, and so on that I was kind of interested in. But I've discovered um, so many kindred spirits out there. Uh, minor place name collecting has become huge. Um, the Mead and the West Mead um, field names, co- uh, cooperatives or collectives, have gathered the names of all the fields in the county. Mead is almost finished. They're, they're up around 50,000 field names. They have about another eight or 10,000 to go. And they've logged the name of every field. And as John McCullen, the man who has spearheaded that, explained to me, he said a lot of them are very boring. They're the house field, um, there's the meadow, 
but there's some good ones like Judy's Bottoms. <laughs> bottoms, Bottoms was a term I think used by the New English to refer to a field that ran down to a stream. You know, the way you'll have a sloping field and in mm. at the bottom there's a little gully or a stream and they're often referred to by the New English as bottoms. So Doody's Bottoms clearly was the field that Mr. Doody owned that ran down to the stream. But there were loads more and uh, they're doing the same thing in Westmeath with the motorways coming in before everything goes on to tarmac, they're desperately trying to salvage. Well, yeah, because you, you want to preserve it for future generations as well. It would be such a shame to, lo- to lose the names. Yeah. I, I refer to a guy there now called uh, Josie O'Sullivan over in Loch Conairha in Connemara. It's a very remote place, even by Connemara standards. And it's, it's like strewn with, with rock and bad land. And it, Josie had such a passion. He was, he was virtually crying as he told me about his love for the place. He said he left there in the 60s as a, a young apprentice carpenter, worked in London, worked in the Dorchester, Dorchester, became friendly. He told me Ringo Starr used to play pool with him and he had a great time and he loved England and he loved the pop music, but he was yearning to come home. And when he came back in the early 90s, he said he was heartbroken. He said because the village was virtually empty. The school was barely open. Um, the guard of barracks was gone. The population had dwindled. Most of his old friends were gone and nobody remembered what he remembered, only a sprinkling of them. And he was at pains to try and save the, the minor place names. And he, he illustrated, he said to me, look at that there, he said. Those rocks, he said, every one of them had a name when I was a child. You see the big lad over with the tuft of grass up on top of it. That's Kanaka Kapin. That's the stone with the cat. And I said, Jesus, that's exactly what it looks like. Over there, he says, that gap on the horizon, that's Barn on train, the train gap. He said, that's where the men used to take a shortcut when they were building the railway. Clifton, he said, out that direction they used to go. Over there, he's where we're standing now, he says. This tumble down rocks, he says, beside me, this is where the barbers lived. Two brothers here, two bachelor brothers were the local barbers, and this was known as Cuina on Druigre, the barber's corner. And it was here, he says, where we're standing, that old fellas would be smoking a fag and chatting before they went in to get their hair cut. He said, no one. No one is going to remember that. Yeah, which is as so, you say, it's it's as 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 I said at the at the outset, it's it's just it's the connection. It's what our ancestors left. It's the clues uh, to our ancestors. And I can't let you go without asking you about the who did the illustration for the front cover? Because before I saw your name when the book came out of the envelope, I said that's John. Before I even looked up, I said that's that looks like John Creedon, and I just looked up and it's John Creedon. Who did that painting? You'll kill me if I tell you I don't know. I don't actually know. Isn't it, it's, isn't it, do you not think, I think it's fantastic. A lot of people say it's a beautiful cover. Shame about the book. Ah, no way. <laughs> but, Send uh, them over to no, me and I'll tell them it's a great book. I, I, I'm terribly sorry. That's very rude of me. I, I don't actually know. I wasn't told. I was asked. Was I happy? And I said, yeah, there's no pizza grams. One thing I did say to them is, is there any chance you stick in a bit of Montbrisha? I just said the countryside wasn't... That's uh, in there. That, it's that's in, in there. there. It's Along with the poppies. Head. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful. You should get yourself a copy of it. Somebody yeah, must have know, painted it. I'll have to get a copy of the book. I <laughs> do you know, what I'll have to do you know I was expecting you to say that in your spare yeah. time, oh, yeah. I, I do a bit of art. I take out yeah, the Oh, old. I do, yeah. That's I do. what and I was say, expecting you to say. I do between that now and saving the human race and everything <laughs> else. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, listen to me. No, it's, um, it, it, it definitely was a labour of love and I'm glad it's out. And as I said, it wasn't really a lockdown project, but as it turns out, and I consider myself very lucky because I genuinely do, because I remember being young and trying to raise a family and being skint. 
and heading for the Dole office over in George's Key on a few occasions. So I do know how tough life is. It's such a random thing at the moment with some people being laid off and other people motoring on and all of that. And I have to say, in that department, after a life of uncertainty, you know the business we're in, yeah. after a life of uncertainty, um, I've had a really kind of good year. And during the first lockdown, um, that's really when I pushed on with the book. I committed to it last year, like uh, maybe around October. And I started in January, and um, and then right through the lockdown, there were like ten or twelve weeks there of ten hour days, where, but it, like all these things, as I said, I'm not an academic, I'm not a professor, but I did drill down into the facts. You have an incredible knowledge. You've got incredible knowledge, and it's a, the amount of detail that's in the book. It was, as I say, from start to finish, I thought it was a complete joy. I really couldn't put it down. I I really enjoyed it. Good luck with it. It'll be fantastic. It'll make a fantastic birth a Christmas present uh, for people. And if you've got overseas, if yeah, you've people, people overseas, oh yeah. my goodness, it would just be so fantastic to pop this in the post to, uh, to loved ones. You look after yourself, John. It is a pleasure as always, and I can see a lot of listeners are saying, "Great to hear John on the program today," and how much people enjoyed our chat. I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, it's good as always to talk. We'll speak again. Look after yourself. Have a great anniversary. Thanks really a million. Thank You're you very kind. Bye 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 bye. That is the one and only John Creedon, and the book is called "That Place We Call Home." Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. It's all about those songs you love. Holding out for a hero. Crazy words. Chain reaction by Diana Ross. The plays of summer. Playing Cork's greatest hits while you work. Nick Richards. Weekdays from 1. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed some of your commentary coming in still a lot coming in about the match yesterday but just on some other uh, topics listen to this hi Patricia I have an appointment for driving licence renewal it was on the news that appointments should be freed up for essential workers I have no problem but the validity of my licence is not being extended what am I supposed to do from Stop and Guard the Shia comes in from a Killarney uh, listener from what I can gather the, it's the RSA are asking people to cancel appointments for driving tests not for renewal of your driving licence they're trying to free up driving tests for essential workers. That's what they were asking people to cancel but they haven't asked people to cancel if you've got an appointment to go and get your driving licence so work away with your driving uh, licence and safe driving to you. And then another listener is on about people from Denmark coming to this country. This was the story actually we featured on Friday on the programme when, actually it was one of our listeners we were one of the first I think to talk about this story one of our listeners had spotted it online and it was the story coming out of Denmark Mark of COVID-19 in the mink population and the farmed minks in Denmark. And Denmark is the leading country for mink farming, which I, I didn't know and I, th- I thought nobody was wearing mink coats anymore. Even though when I looked into it over the weekend, I think they use mink for fake eyelashes, seemingly. So to anybody out there wearing a fake eyelash, do you realise it could be, have come from a mink? Anyway, that's beside the point. But because of this mutant strain of coronavirus in the mink population in the farmed minks in Denmark. The decision was taken late last week that they are doing a call. They have between 15 and 17 million mink minks which are now they're in the process of calling them at the moment and one wonders is that going to, is it going to be the end of mink farming? But seemingly what happened was it was a worker initially went to work on a mink farm spread the coronavirus into the animals 
and then somehow along the line it mutated and got passed back to the workers and it's causing a real panic and a real concern particularly amongst the people who are making the vaccines and there's a lot of work going on now to try to get rid of this immediately and the one thing they're doing is they're doing a call on the mink on all on all the mink farms in Denmark but it has led to some countries now banning people from Denmark from entering their countries and a listener is saying why aren't the Danes banned from coming into this state in view of what's happening with this strain of COVID-19 carried by minks being passed to humans as a mutant variation and possibly not covered by any vaccine due to be rolled out. They can now, Danish people can apparently travel to this country but they must limit their restrictions. As if, says this texter, our safety should not be put at the discretion of travellers. This is crazy. We have no say in it, seemingly. Why do we have people so lacking in basic intelligence at the top making senseless, stupid decisions at times of this listener? Because all the countries have done that. They've just put a complete stop on people from Denmark entering their countries or if they come into the country, then they have to quarantine for two weeks. But in this country, don't know if there's any direct flights from Denmark, but that doesn't mean that people can't travel from Denmark to London and then hop on a plane or travel into uh, travel Denmark into Belfast and then come come down south. If they want to come here, they will. They will come here. But yes, they're they're just told to to limit their movements. But we've no way of checking if people will do that or not. So that's one listener concerned about that and thinks that that particular that should be a stronger restriction. We should be stopping people, the Danes, coming completely until they have that under control, what's happening in the mink farms over there. And hi Patricia, I contacted Airtricity over two weeks ago about street lights on the top of the town in Donnerill. They're out of order. They have been for the past two months. They still haven't been fixed. I would suggest you get back onto Airtricity again because I know whenever we contact Airtricity, when people we number of years ago we used to contact Airtricity on behalf of listeners then eventually Airtricity told us to stop that they needed the individual people to contact them because they need the number on the poll so that they can send engineers out uh, they're normally very good about it and I know whenever we've told listeners what to do to get the street lights fixed we normally have listeners back saying thanks a million it was you know sorted out within a day or two so I would suggest you get back onto them again saying that you contacted them two weeks ago, explaining that they've been out for a few months and they might come back and explain to you why there is a delay and maybe, just maybe your report has fallen through through the cracks and got lost. But let us know how you get on. But that's what I would suggest you do. Contact them again. A lot of questions coming in for Annalise. Keep those coming, please. And also, Mags says, this is on my interview with John Creedon in the last hour. I always try to translate the meaning of place names. So John and I are kindred spirits, said Mags. So he'd be delighted to hear that. And actually, Mags, if that's you have a passion for that, then you will love John's book because he does a glossary at the back of the book to help people to break it down. So if you're on your travels anywhere, you can look up the glossary at the back and break down the name and see if you can work out exactly what it is. So you will certainly love the book, Mags, uh, for sure. OK, back to the GAA and what yesterday and the great win and nobody is taking from the great win. But some people are just saying they should the manager shouldn't have been hugging the players afterwards. John in East Cork says, it always amazes me how people pick on the GAA at the worst chance they get. Soccer and rugby, they're all hugging each other on the TV all the time. 
Do you hear people complaining there? Is that okay? Says John in uh, East uh, Cork. Patricia, listening to your programme, did anybody see our Taoiseach in the North yesterday where we are aware that COVID-19 is as bad, if not worse, than it is down here in the South? He wasn't wearing a mask at the Remembrance Day ceremonies. Neither was Arlene Foster. Is he isolating today? That comes in from Francis, who's one of our city listeners, who says, stay uh, safe. On the Cork win over Kerry, we have some people making jokes, saying at least now, Trish, there's 40 extra people available to join in the search for Funky. Up the, up the rebels. Meg says it takes only one person to pass the virus to another. Heat of the moment or not, you know, when I said it was the heat of the moment after us and that's when they started hugging each other. How much more advice do these people uh, need? And Sean from Mallow said, Sean... Uh, Powter in his interview yesterday they explained they train together four nights a week they're tested every week for COVID-19 they are practically together all the time so give everyone credit for another fantastic win and that comes in from Sean in Mallow some of your WhatsApps in allowing team sports while the rest of us are all locked up is complete hypocrisy says this texture. One rule for some and other rules for others. I'm not surprised people are flouting the rules when all of this is going on. It's stupid and nonsensical. And you defending it, Patricia, sounds awful. Especially after how you preach about following the rules. It certainly breaks the spirits of the rules. I agree with Karen, that nurse from England who raised the topic today, says a texter. Hi Patricia, don't you think if Waterford win the Munster final next Saturday that they won't be hugging? It'll be going on the very same way. Same goes for Limerick. Fair play to Cork uh, people. Fair play to Cork, that's the team. People need to grow up and stop moaning. Life is tough enough at the moment. Hi, this is Dermot in Mill Street. Hi Trish, I wonder what Pat Spillane will have to say now as he was all for these games going ahead. He and all the people in Kerry can spend the rest of the time this year looking for fungi now, says uh, Dermot in uh, Mill Street. And someone else says it was only the team that were hogging. The rest of them were elbowing. I don't know what all the fuss is about. And hi Patricia, well done to C103 Sport for being so brilliant. John Cashman is the voice of Cork Curling and amongst the best in the country for sports. Patrick Mulcahy, his description of the late goal versus Kerry yesterday was absolutely superb. The sports team of Michael, Rory, Finbar are doing such a superb job and at a higher level than any other sports channel. And that includes RTE. Corky Kaboo says a texter, I shall pass on your kind, kind words to all of the boys. They will no doubt be thrilled with that. Jimmy says, if we win the All-Ireland, watch all the hugging that will go on then, says Jimmy. The COVID restrictions are hitting the same people all of the time. So let's get on with things. When people get, get excited, it's bound to happen. They simply get emotional. And Fim- on Finbar McCarthy's comments on this programme, Miriam Abandon said, I also thought Finbar's comments on people staying in a room was hurtful, especially with people who are living with COVID and people who have lost loved ones to COVID at the moment. We all have to, to try to keep going. And a Kerry man living in London says by email, what a win. And the commentary from your two boils, Finbar and Patrick yesterday, classic. Hope they go all the way. Up the rebels. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council.
supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit CorkCoco.ie. Can Talk, which is a support group for adults affected by cancer in any way, their group now continues online with support meetings held every Tuesday evening at half past seven. Attendance is free of charge, but booking is essential. Second Tuesday of each month, which is tomorrow night, Cancer Care Community Group will meet. Full details are available on the Can Talk brochures online at www.cancantalk.ie. Kildare Community Development will hold their weekly lotto draw this Thursday, 12th of November, 4 o'clock in the afternoon in the local community office. This week's jackpot, €1,100. And tickets are now on sale locally. Keep your questions coming in for Annalise, please. You can either call John Paul or you could text or WhatsApp me to 0862 103 103. And here's a comment in from John, one of our listeners. And uh, John, I have to say, I disagree with you on this, but you're entitled to your opinion. John was watching... TV on Saturday night and he watched the new chat show with Deirdre O'Kane and it's a chat show whereby Deirdre O'Kane is sitting speaking with other comedians and what I can gather it's going to be a series of comedians uh, I don't know how long it runs for how many weeks she's going to do it and week one was Saturday night and it was Pat Short uh, John said I watched the programme and I thought it was a very poor offering RT will be better off showing a decent movie than this inane chat show if TV is to stay relevant young people have to watch it and they are not after all they and they're not watching TV after all they are the future licensed players the internet is where it is for young people at the moment for news and entertainment uh, but I I mention it because I watched it now I didn't watch it live on Saturday night I was watching something else but I watched it on on catch up yesterday and I actually enjoyed it I have to say I'm a fan of Pat Short maybe that was the reason I thought it was good and I loved the clips that they showed. They showed a lot of different clips from The Unbelievables and other different work that John has done over the years. I personally found it funny. I I enjoyed it. Now I don't know what I'm going to make of the other comedians that she has on. Only time will tell. But we'll see. Do others agree? You're entitled to your opinion, uh, John. And I suppose we're lucky at the moment with so much on TV, you can flick the channel and move over to something else. Or you can switch the TV off altogether and listen to the radio. Anyway, uh, did anybody else watch that programme? Are you with John who thought it was a very poor showing and he would have preferred uh, a movie? on Saturday night rather than showing the programme with Deirdre speaking with another comedian. Hi Patricia, this is from John in Blackpool. Just to say, I have an appointment at the Mercy Hospital on the 3rd of December. It's for a chest x-ray. I'm starting to feel very uncomfortable about going into to a hospital. I'm not sick, I'm feeling grand, but obviously the doctor has asked for John to go for a chest x-ray. I'm not sure what, what to do. I will initially say to you, John, if the doctor or a consultant has requested that you need to go for a chest x-ray, then please please, please, please go for the chest x-ray. We are seeing and hearing of too many people who are missing out on diagnosis because they're not going to their doctor or they're not going to a hospital appointment. So please go. I know any time I have spoken with people or I've had commentary from people who have attended a hospital appointment and like you, were nervous in advance of going and I would always give them that same advice that I'm giving to you to please go, you will be fine. And I would say 100% everybody came back and said that when they went to the hospital, everything was done. They were made to feel very safe. The hand sanitising were going on. People were wearing PPE gear. There was masks and that they came back and said, I think in every one of the cases came back and said, I don't know what I was worried about because everything was fine. So please 
stick with the appointment you will be okay and do exactly what the hospital tell you to do no doubt you'll have to do your, your hand sanitising all of that and you'll have to wear a mask but you will be you will be okay but I'll give it out has anybody been to like John a bit nervous about going in beforehand have you been to a hospital appointment be it for like what John is in, in, and you'll be in and out very quick for a chest X-ray or to attend a procedure and whatever. And were you like John, a bit nervous? And how did it all go for you? If anybody else wants to offer words of advice uh, to John, and John, let us know how you get on, and can we wish you the very best of luck with it and the best of good health to you. Now, let me see. They're all for Annalise. I'm just quickly going down through all the texts to make sure that I'm not missing out on anything because we've so many uh, texts coming into the program today, and my we appreciate each and every one of them but there's a lot coming in for Annalise thank you for that Hi Patricia I can't resist sending you this a Corkman living in Killarney up the Rebels I'll have to take a look at that it's a little video clip somebody else said I enjoyed Pat Short on the TV yes yeah, so did I so did I but I suppose it, it, comedy is a bit different isn't it in that it's all it's it's you know what what makes me laugh might necessarily make you laugh and maybe maybe that's uh, to do with it as well and then on the street lights remember the listener who contacted us from was it Donnera to say that they had reported street lights that have been out they reported to Airtricity they reported two weeks ago nothing's been done but the street lights have been out for the last two months and I was saying get back onto Airtricity again Gareth was listening to us in his van I imagine and he pulled in to call us to say this could be a reason why there's a delay we're getting the street lamps fixed he Gareth works for a company that carries out repairs now it isn't street lights it's, a, it's an, another com- another company and he says himself and his colleagues, himself and his colleague, two of them, would drive around in a van together to go off to whatever kind of repairs, the work that they need to do. And since the start of the pandemic, the two of them are sitting in the van and they have their face masks uh, on them. He said, we were stopped in a Cork town and somebody spotted Gareth and his colleague sitting in the van and they rang the number on the van to report the two boys and saying that they shouldn't be in a van together with COVID-19 and all of that. And because, now he said, Garrett said they were both in the van and they both had their masks on them. They weren't walking around the street or anything. But because of that, the company where Garrett works took on board the complaint and now Gareth and his work colleague have been separated. They're put into separate vans, which he says means their work is getting delayed because obviously then the two vans have to go to an area and he reckons it's causing delays and that they're not getting the same amount of work done that they did when both of them were travelling in the van. Now, he's not saying that that's the reason why the street lamps haven't been fixed, but he said it could be. It could be one of the reasons. But somebody actually reported them for sitting in the van been in the van together even though Garrett says 100% we were both sitting in the van with our masks on but somebody took the time out to uh, report it. 1850-333-103 and actually I can see Nancy in, ba- in Bantry is just putting in a comment about calendars and, and thank you I don't know what the comment is I'll get to the comment first but I was thinking over the weekend somebody had shared and I shared it on Twitter I think I got tagged on Twitter a gorgeous calendar from down around the Bearer Peninsula with the most stunning photographs. Now I was only looking at it on Twitter so I was you know looking at a very small photograph but it just looked absolutely stunning and it got me thinking that this is the time of the year that people are producing calendars and many people produce calendars for charity or maybe for a local GAA club or for a local school they can be a great fundraiser and then they go on and and sell them 
And this year, more than ever, fundraising has been hit really badly. You know, we can't have our coffee mornings, the fun runs, all the things we normally do for fundraising. All of them are gone this year. So I'm assuming that a lot of people may be going down the route of producing calendars for sale to promote a local charity and to make some money for a local charity or a local organisation. So it got me thinking, and I meant to talk to John Paul about it in the office, and I didn't, but I'll talk to him when I come off air. It got me thinking that if you are involved with a charity calendar, would you let us know about it so that we can give you a bit of a mention if you get in one of the calendars, ideally, but if not, just get the details into us. And we'll give it a mention. And if we get enough of them, we'll do a couple of feature, a couple of calendars every day and let people know what's in your calendar and where your calendar is on sale and how much it is and where the proceeds is going to go. It's just a way of pushing it because, the, I mean, local calendars, then we'll try and get people to buy them locally. And also by mentioning it, we might get people outside your area if they think a particular calendar is nice and they might have a connection with the area, but they didn't see it because they weren't living locally. So let us know if you are involved with any kind. Of, now, it's charity calendars is what we're talking about, not commercial ones. But if you're involved in any way in a charity calendar, Get it into us and as I say, we will do our best to give as many mention to as many of the calendars as we can between now and the end of the year. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your call and I want to get to just finish up this piece with fingers crossed that this is a bit of good news. The drug company Pfizer, and we know Pfizer have big plants here in Cork and here in Ireland, they have just announced this morning that an early analysis of their coronavirus vaccine, the early analysis of their trial, is suggesting that the vaccine was robustly effective in preventing COVID-19 and it is a promising development as the world is, the entire world is waiting anxiously for any positive news at this stage for a vaccine to come. I mean, we're looking now at the this pandemic has now gone over a million people have died because of this pandemic. So the sooner we get a vaccine, the better. Pfizer have developed the vaccine with the German drug maker BioNTech. Now they released this morning only sparse details from their clinical trial. It's based on the first formal review of the data by an outside panel of experts. But what's coming into them so far, certainly it's... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's really, really good news, so we will keep our fingers crossed for that. Okay, let's take a break, and we are back chatting with Annelies Dressel, answering all of your nutritional questions. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Annelies Dressel of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig joining us. Good afternoon to you, Annelies. Good afternoon. And you're very welcome. We have so many questions. We have the hope of getting through them, but let's fly through as many as we can. A regular listener says, hi, I suffer from carpal tunnel. I was diagnosed in one hand, but I'm now discovering that the other hand seems to be as bad. I'm finding it very difficult to get a tight grip as the joints on my fingers are very sore. Would you have any advice? Yeah, so carpal tunnel is where... um, uh there's a, a sort of a little nerve tunnel that goes down from the top of the arm down through uh, to make your fingers work and move. And that can become clogged up. So really, to be honest, the only thing for client for fixing that is surgery ultimately. However, I do know myself, a couple of people who were diagnosed with carpal tunnel, the numbness was actually coming from a problem in their neck. So I would suggest that you go and have a good, um, go to a good person for physical therapy um, or even a physiotherapist or a chiropractor or someone who you can get a recommendation for and have them work on your neck a little bit and see does that relieve it because it's not always that the nerve tunnel is clogged up. Sometimes the nerve is trapped up at the neck. Okay. Hi, Annelies. Is there a, could you recommend, is there anything that people who've had or are just recovering from COVID-19 can take to improve their general health? That's a mallow listener. So yes, definitely. Two things I would recommend. The first one is the one I always recommend, which is the source of life gold um, and take it as the liquid because there are so many different superfoods in there. Plus there's great immune boosting stuff and there's loads of mushroom extracts and everything that you want to give yourself a very, very good tonic and an immune support after being so sick. The other thing that I recommend a lot and people end up staying on it forever is the Terra Nova Life Drink, L-I-F-E Life. And it's a combination, again, of lots of different superfoods, omega-3 fats, digestive enzymes, and pea protein. So if your appetite isn't good, you can mix that up with a bit of yogurt or um, um, skimmed milk and make a kind of a good smoothie out of it. And it's very good, again, just as a, as a food-based tonic. But also, if you've no appetite, the protein is, in, is very good in that to support your muscle tone. Hi, Annelise. What would you recommend uh, for help with waking at 2am and 5am every night? Now, I am on HRT. Would matcha help? Some of the costs could be an overactive mind, thanking you. I think a lot of people have overactive minds at the moment. I was just chatting to John Paul there, Patricia, and I was saying nobody's really sick at the moment. Normally, this time of the year, I can't keep the Dr. Delish Clare mucotone on the shelf. But this year, I'm selling more of the anxiety remedies. And it's, of course, everybody is anxious and upset and lonely and insecure about the future with COVID. So it's very common to have that busy brain in bed. And the best thing is not matcha. In fact, I would avoid matcha because there is caffeine in that. So that'll that'll give you a bit of a caffeine buzz before you go to bed. 
The valerian is the first thing I'd recommend um, for the busy brain in bed. So it comes in drops or tablets. You'll get it at any health shop and just follow the directions. I'd advise taking it before you go to sleep. And then if you wake up, you can you can quite easily take it again. Uh, cannabis oil is another thing that's great for stopping the busy brain. Again, this is something that just works to kind of bring your, your levels of stress and adrenaline down before you go to sleep. And again, you could take that again if you woke up in the middle of the night. So try the two of those. And then if you feel that you're stressed in your daily life as well, and that's contributing with the busy brain, something like ashwagandha or rhodiola are great herbs that support you in the long term. They help improve your body's ability to cope with stress. Barry Hooley, listener, question for Anna Is there any supplement you could recommend for hair loss? I suspect, says this listener... It was my blood pressure medication that was causing it. Even though I've changed to another tablet, the problem still exists. Could be, actually, as a, as a side effect of the medication. That's quite common. I think there's two things I always recommend for hair. One of them is for hair quality, and that's biotin. Salgar do a very high-strength biotin. It comes as 5,000 milligrams. It's, a very, it's easy to take in high amounts. It's not going to be toxic. It's one of the B vitamins, but we would never get it in that concentration out in nature. So that's fantastic for hair quality. But for thinning hair that hasn't, isn't growing back, I always recommend Norcrin. Now, this is a kind of a marine protein that they have patented that seems to kickstart dormant follicles into regrowing again. So I'd suggest try that for three months. If you don't see any benefit after three months, it's probably not going to work for you. But you'd need to make sure for three months it would be the new hair coming back that you'd see tiny fine hair growth. That's what you're looking for. Hi, Annalise. I'm 78 years old. I take vitamins E, C, D, evening primrose and omega-3. And I'm in pretty good health, uh, thank God. But my nails are very brittle. Am I taking too much of something or not enough of something? Thanking you, says Margaret. There could be a couple of reasons for brittle nails. I mean, calcium is probably what most people would think of. But actually, the the supplement I mentioned for hair quality, the biotin, is also excellent for nails. Hair and nails are actually made out of the same protein, keratin protein. So the high-strength biotin by Salgar, that's a great one for nail quality. The other reason that your nails might be weak would be that you have low stomach or weak stomach acid or if you're on an acid blocker because you need a good, strong acidic stomach to be able to um, prepare things like calcium and magnesium and zinc and all the other things that are necessary for nails in order to prepare them for absorption in your body. So that would often be a naturopathic question we would ask is, would your nails break easily or are there ridges in your nails? And that can often indicate a deficiency in um, digestion and stomach acid. So taking a digestive enzyme with some acid in it would would be the cure there. Yvonne, afternoon, Patricia. Could you ask Annelise if she could tell me what I could use for mouth ulcers, please? I'm plagued with them at the moment and they are so sore. So sore, absolutely. And you can't, nothing, nothing, you can eat nothing that's comfortable. So two things I'd recommend there. The first thing is changing your um, toothpaste to a toothpaste with no sodium lauryl sulfate in there because often people are reacting to that chemical. It's put into a lot of things to create the foaming effect. So you'll get one of those in a health shop. You won't get it in the dentist and you won't get it in a pharmacy. So go into your local health shop and make sure that there's no sodium lauryl sulfate in it. Um, that often is enough to do the job, but the colloidal silver is very good to help them heal up a lot quicker and to take some of the pain out of it. So you'll be able to buy colloidal silver again in your health shop. It comes as a spray, and I'd recommend spraying that on 
certainly morning and evening, but if you got a little bottle that you could bring it around with you throughout the day and spray after every time you ate, that would be good too. Mary says, what is, what is the best time to stop taking water or tea before going to bed? I've noticed I'm getting up two to three times at night just to go to the loo, which is yes. breaking a night's sleep then, isn't it? It is if you don't go back to sleep quickly. I suppose everybody's bladder is very different. My dad used to take a cup of coffee to bed with him, Patricia. <laughs> never had a problem sleeping throughout the whole night. So it depends. And as we get older, our bladders do become um, weaker and less able to hold on to large volumes of liquid. So you'll have to start experimenting. But I think I would advise giving up the caffeine um, maybe before six o'clock in the evening and then only drink non-caffeinated drinks after that and maybe have your last drink at nine o'clock. And if you're still getting up going to the loo in the middle of the night, maybe you should consider giving up caffeine, you know, after after lunchtime at that stage. Okay, Mary says, uh, question for Annalise, please. Advice on treating dermatitis. I'm using Dactacort cream, but I'm not seeing much improvement. The itch is tormenting. Also, I've developed a dry, itchy scalp. Help is needed. Thank you, says Mary. Okay, so there's no quick answer really for Mary because there's lots of different things that can cause um, dermatitis or dry, itchy skin. It may not be even dermatitis. It could be just dry skin. So it depends as well how long the problem has been there. So if it's a recent thing, a lot of people develop it if they've just changed medications or started on a new medication or maybe you've changed something in your environment. Generally, skin responds um, to allergens and it could be an environmental one or it could be a food-based one. So it would be the key in finding out to you know take care of the problem, finding out what's causing it. And then the only other thing is management of it really um, and trying to find a good cream. Now, the cream that she's on is a steroid cream, and it can work very well uh, to take away the itch and to help things um, heal up quickly. But unfortunately, steroid creams in the long term damage and thin the skin. And also, as soon as you stop using them, the problem tends to come back with a rebound. So it can make the long term problem more of a difficult thing to deal with. So the one uh, cream, the one cream I find very good here is the Salcura Zeoderm, Z-E-O-D-E-R-M. They also do a spray version, which is very good. And I know a lot of people talk about Child's Farm, which they use for kids' eczema, as being very um, soothing as well. So take try one of those and see, does that give you some got some instant relief? Hi, Annalise. Could you recommend something for my seven-year-old has a small bit of acne on her chin? What could I use? So again, I'd go back to the same company, Salcura. They do um, a totally natural face wash and a spot cream. And the name of that is Antiac, A-N-T-I-A-C. And it is absolutely brilliant. It, I'd say in at least 70% of cases, it clears it up to be bearable, you know. So, I mean, kids will always have a few spots, teenagers, but it's about making sure that it's not um, causing them any distress or embarrassment. And that works very, very well. Then Viridian also do an excellent product called Clear Skin Complex. And that's better for more serious acne. Um, you take that internally and it's safe, safe for young teenagers to take. Okay, Anne wants to know, John St. John's wart oil, is it good to put on your face and hair and can you take it in your food? So, yes, you could, absolutely. St. John's wort is a plant that's generally used for mood stabilising. A lot of people would have used it as an antidepressant, but we can't sell it over the counter anymore for those reasons. Now, you can buy St. John's wort in an oil, and it's very good for healing. Um, And I'd often give it to people for stubborn sores or to prevent scars. You could, I suppose, take take it as an oil. Um, I can't see how it would do any harm. It, It doesn't come as an oil 
the extract of it would be put into an oil. So I suppose it would be important to see what type of oil it's in. Is it sunflower oil? Is it almond oil? What flower, you know, what oil has the extract been put in? Um, and make your decision then as to whether you're going to take it internally or not. And then I certainly wouldn't put it on hair because I think it would be, again, very oily, but it's excellent for skin conditions, so it would be very good for your face. Okay, Yvonne is back who had the problem that you gave great advice about helping her with her hair growth. You mentioned a project product. Is it Nourcrin? Nourcrin. Could, could you N- spell it? Yep, N-O-U-R-K-R-I-N. Now, it's not, it's not cheap, Patricia, but I have seen a lot of good uh, results over the years in the shop here so I think you know people spend fortunes on shampoos don't waste your money and if you buy the Norcrin as a three month pack you generally get one month free so buy the three months because you certainly won't see any benefit after okay. one month Okay N-O-U-R-K-R-I-N and the other one is hi uh, could I ask Annalise to repeat the products for the busy brain at 2 and 5am please I'm writing them as she spoke Okay <laughs> so she could um, she could try Valerian V-A-L-E-R-I-A-N it generally comes as a tincture Dr. Vogel do a tincture and the brand name of that is called Dormazan D-O-R-M-E-A-S-A-N um, or she could try cannabis oil and normally is sold as CBD oil and every every um, shop will have their own brand Okay alright listen have a, have a great week and I can see the comedians are out somebody wants to know could Annalise recommend any tablets for severe shock and it was from Peter and Kerry um, Okay listen have a, have a great week we'll talk next week that is uh, Annalise Dressel of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic and thank you to some people who've contacted us when I mentioned John in Blackpool who's very nervous he's got uh, an appointment to go and have a chest x-ray in the Mercy Hospital at the start of December and he's just a bit nervous with everything that's going on at the moment. Uh, somebody's been on straight away to say, I had an x-ray in the Mercy just last Wednesday. This is Breather in Mill Street. Perfectly safe. Uh, tell John he will be fine. And someone, a Kerry listener was on saying, Patricia, I attended appointments in the Martyr Hospital in Dublin during lockdown. I felt very safe and well cared for by the hospital because like your listener, John, going into the Mercy, I also was apprehensive ahead of the important, ahead of the appointment. The important thing is hospitals give individual appointments. So therefore, they won't take you in. You must attend on the time on time if you turn up beforehand they won't allow you in you'll be waiting outside and this is to maintain social distancing and I'm sure it'll be the very same in the Mercy Hospital and in all other hospitals they are very conscious about safety so says a Kerry listener thank you uh, for that and uh, John has been back on to say thank you to people uh, to thank us for giving him words of comfort you will be fine John and as I say please let us know how you get on and a lot of people including Breather who said she had her x-ray in the Mercy Hospital last week and she got on fine uh, says the Pat Short programme that was on with Deirdre O'Kane that the listener was complaining about was absolutely excellent. She really enjoyed it. And I can see a lot of people feeling the very same way. Pat Short was wonderful with Deirdre O'Kane. It was the only laugh I have had since lockdown. That came in from Mar. Mag says, loved the programme with Pat Short on Saturday night. A little bit of light entertainment is brilliant. Superior to having our living rooms like back Battlefields with all gunshots and fighting that you see in some movies. Someone else says, loved the programme with Pat Short on Saturday night. It was terrific. It was John sent in the initial 
text and says John is right Deirdre O'Kane's programme was pathetic I certainly didn't enjoy it isn't it gas the way people can watch programmes some can watch it and absolutely adore doors another watch it another way and don't like it at all Mary says uh, a comment on the Deirdre O'Kane chat show uh, at the start of the show, says Mary, Deirdre seemed to be nervous. It took her a while to loosen out her, her conversation, became a lot more flowing as the programme went on. Uh, what I thought was missing was the live audience, says Mary. And actually, I heard her on another radio programme when she was being interviewed about this programme that she was starting for TV. And she did admit that she was nervous about it. And she did admit that she was, was going to miss the live audience and that it would just be herself and whichever guests she had in the studio the two of them just having a chat and she did say that she would have preferred if there was a live audience but obviously with everything that's going on with COVID-19 there isn't a hope of there being a live audience uh, there but the majority of people judging by calls in certainly enjoyed the programme and Mallow GAA have been on to say Hi Patricia well done to Mallow's Matty Taylor and the Cork senior footballers on yesterday's win he represented his club here in Carragoon and his town with great rebel pride and that comes in from Mallow GA. Thank you for that. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul taking your calls today. We're back with you tomorrow. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 until I'm Trisha Messenger. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.